0: But some days are worse than others. Yeah, that's true. Some days I take that out. Yeah, today... (coughs) Hey everyone, Corey here. Welcome to this week's weekly recap. I'm here with my husband, Matt Locke. Hey.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Doing well. How about you?
1: Good, ready to do this. Yes. Okay, so
0: our assigned reading from the Bible Discovery Guide this week was Psalm 80 to Psalm 112. So we're still smack dab in the middle of the Psalms. There's a lot, um, a lot of poetry mm-hmm. in here. So we're going to try our best to summarize it, kind of link some of them together and uh, see how well you remembered it. I know for me, re- um, having recollection of the Psalms is tremendously more difficult than than other portions of scripture.
1: Well, I imagine so. Well, they're also very much, they very similar. Yes. Like they have like, you, like <laughs> they have steadfast love, faithfulness. Like they have all these similar themes yes. but it makes it difficult to remember which one is which. It does yeah. and,
0: and and I mean when you think about the concept of the, of these being music if it actually were still set to music it would be much easier yes. to remember. Like old hymns right. I don't have a problem recollecting hymns that I learned when I was a child right? because they're set to music so right. it's difficult so yeah. I understand if you're going back through this I know some of you watch to kind of test yourself to see if you remember but let me know in the comments down below if you also find it much more difficult to remember a week worth of reading psalms than other parts of the Bible, because I'd be interested to see uh, how, how that goes for you. But anyway, Psalm 80, let's just jump right in. So Psalm 80 is actually a continuation of the theme that we were introduced to in Psalm 79. Um, there's a re- recurring verse that happens in Psalm 79 and Psalm 80 that uh, drives the the, the theme home and and here's the verse restore us O God make your face shine on us that we may be saved so these are two psalms where they're asking God for restoration for healing um <clears throat> and for completion of His plan of salvation <clears throat> Psalm eighty one uh, it's really interesting because this psalm brings hope back into that cry for restoration, for salvation from God. It it begins by calling out for joyful praising of God. And it, it <clears throat> instead of focusing on their present situation, which was dire, it looks back into the nation's history <clears throat> at how God had rescued Israel from distress before. So it's this switch of focus. And I think when you're paying attention to the Psalms, <clears throat> when I first started doing this recap last year is when it really hit me that so many of these psalms are organized thematically like this for a purpose Mm. to be sung back to back and to be read back to back as well. Um, So, so we have this, this response now, this moving on. Okay. We've called twice out to God for restoration so now what's the next step remembering how God has restored us before in the past how he's miraculous miraculously provided for us before and so the people come to a conclusion in Psalm 81 that they must follow God and be faithful to his ways because it's only a matter of time before he's going to satisfy them again before he's going to restore them again Mm. because of his nature all right Psalm 82 is really interesting. This is God coming against the rulers of the earth. He's indicting them, if you will. So people argue here whether God is addressing spiritual powers in Psalm 82 or whether he's addressing human powers in Psalm 82. So that is a little bit of a debate. Um... Personally, I lean more towards, and I think I said this last year too. I lean more towards uh, this being God indicting spiritual principalities that seem to be responsible for certain territories, because I think that fits the context best here. But I'm definitely open to having my mind changed. I know that I could be wrong.
1: Oh, I, I just to add to that because part of this, what makes it so interesting, is that you know the word we all always know is that Elohim means God. Yep. Here, he's saying the Elohim. Of the Elohims, right? Yeah. Of Elohim, So he's yeah. the Elohim above all other Elohims. Yeah. So the word gods, lowercase g, is the word Elohims. So, and then he's saying here, you will die like mere mortals. Yep. Like, that's not something that you would n- normally, you know, condemn a ruler for in a yes. normal and sense. Yes, you and
0: you can, you can make the argument uh so on the other side of it where people see well it's human it's human kings here because they saw themselves yes. as divinely ordained to have rulership over territory right. and there was this crossover between they weren't gods but they were more well, than mortal and you see
1: that in Ezekiel 28 mm-hmm. where he where he condemns well, some people say it's lucifer or satan right. right right through this king right but it's also speaking to something in the background yeah so you can definitely see that it could be a double entendre of sorts yeah. but i yeah i definitely lean towards it being a, a divine council where there's um uh you know uh god is speaking to the spiritual powers and you see that kind of what you see that is in job yeah. where satan comes up and all the we, we call them angels but essentially all the spiritual beings get together and uh God is speaking to them because another example of spiritual beings that is not just an angel. Let's say hypothetically is right. Saul. When Saul goes to the Witch of Endor and he calls up Samuel, mm-hmm. that's called an Elohim. Yes, yeah, so spirit. it's a spirit, mm-hmm. right? So you have this idea of the Elohim, God being the Elohim's of Elohim's. Yeah. Um,
0: and of course that 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 concept is there. You know, when we get into the New Testament and Paul talks about fighting not against human flesh
1: that's right But against
0: principalities and spiritual forces yes. in heavenly places so, so <laughs> i think
1: that i know you're saying there's a debate and I, I don't see reason why these two can't be married like in ezekiel 28 yeah where you th- yeah. there's the focus is on the spiritual well, and, and the, yeah. but it includes through the physical right
0: yes and in the ancient world that is how like kings of pagan nations even understood themselves where right they they were mortal but they were divinely inspired and almost indwelt by these spiritual forces by these gods that they were supposed to be the incarnation for right right so they had these gods they were a physical representation of these gods right
1: like Which gave too. them
0: spiritual power, right. but even more like Assyria yes. and Babylon, and we yeah, get into the prevalence theme
1: it. across all of yes. the Near East and more. <clears throat>
0: so, yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think that yeah. definitely there's elements of both here.
1: It's very cool. All right, but
0: regardless of where you land on this, whether you're on the spiritual side, the physical side, or somewhere in between, like us, God charges this group of leadership, for lack of a better better term here. With defending the unjust and showing partiality to the wicked rather than to the weak, fatherless, poor, and oppressed. So there's severe injustice that's going on by these rulers who should be dealing out true justice. So essentially he's charging them with being evil. The end of this psalm closes with a cry for God to come and judge the earth because he is the ultimate righteous judge. Um, <clears throat> they want him to come and finally bring justice to all of the rampant injustice that we can still see all around us. The, the verse that really typifies this is, rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. So not just Israel, it's the whole world that's your inheritance <clears throat> psalm eighty-three again, another really interesting psalm. So this is the the people of God, the nation of Judah specifically, calling out to God to punish the nations that are coming against them. Uh, and there's a lot of brutal language that that goes along with with this enemy talk and this defeating talk, but it all culminates in verse 16 which says cover their faces with shame lord so that they will seek your name which is really interesting because this isn't just i think a lot of times the old testament gets blasted for it being a people of god versus people of the world Mm. you know us against everyone else and and it's okay to um Ask God to be vengeful and, and and unjust almost is the idea that we get in, in, in a lot of the discourse that happens today. Right. But verse sixteen, at the end of this judgment psalm where they're asking God to bring judgment and bring shame, it literally says, Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek right. your
1: name. And that's always been the point. Yeah. So it's like despite the like people wanting vengeance, you know, and justice, is that's part of the call when David cries out he wants justice. Mm-hmm it's not at the expense of you know people's souls yeah it's not right so yeah it's definitely a prevalent theme that goes throughout the all the psalms and the whole text
0: so then psalm 84 is talking about the temple in jerusalem and how magnificent it is basically um and it it, it goes through a journey uh, a pilgrimage to to worship God there. Uh, and, and this is where we get that famous verse that's been made famous by several worship songs. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's verse, mm. the beginning of verse 10. Psalm 85 is a prayer for restoration uh, that's given corporately, so by a bunch of people to God. The people, again, they look back at a time when God had restored Israel and they ask for God to do that very thing again Psalm 86, this is uh, called a Psalm of David, which is interesting because it's the only Psalm of David that's called that in book three of the Psalms. Remember, the Psalms are grouped into different books. This is book three. And this is a personal prayer for help from King David. Um, Verses 11 to 13 says this. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from um, from the realm of the dead. And again, uh, in the end of this, this uh, Psalm 86, there's more talk about other nations other than Israel and Judah coming to God. Verse 9 says all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. So this theme of other nations coming to God, not just Israel and Judah, again, permeated uh, the culture. Psalm 87, this is a psalm that talks about the wonders of Zion, uh, also known as Jerusalem. Um, And it's, excuse me, I'm still getting over a cold, but it's it's talked about Zion and Jerusalem is talked about as the place that God had chosen to put his name. So mainly his his name meaning his presence meaning in the temple of Solomon. Um it talks about again those people from other nations who choose to acknowledge God and how they will be called of Zion, even though that's not where they were born and that's not actually the culture that they came from, but they will be called born of Zion. All right. Verses four to six are interesting. It says, I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the most high himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. So specifically in this uh, psalm, in Psalm 87, Rahab here uh, likely stands for Egypt. Um, Isaiah 30 verse 7 is another example where, uh, where uh, Egypt is referred to as Rahab. It says, uh, Isaiah 37 says this, "'To Egypt, whose help is utterly useless, therefore I call her Rahab, the do-nothing.'" In other Psalms, Rahab represents chaos, but here in the list of nations, it specifically represents Egypt, and there's there's reasons for that that we won't jump into, but...
1: Well, yeah, well, also too, because in Psalm 89, which we'll get into, yeah, right, Rahab, well, I guess we'll get into it, but Rahab is regarded as a mythical sea monster. Chaos, yeah. Or chaos, right. But in that, when you see when God, God calls Egypt, Rahab, the do-nothing, in other words there's this concept of a chaotic, prideful sea dragon, essentially, that's overlaid on top mm-hmm. of Egypt. So it's God's using that thing to describe Egypt, which I think is interesting.
0: Yeah, and we know that it was a common epithet for Egypt because of its use also in Isaiah chapter 30. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which that's is it. interesting. Yeah, it's very cool. Okay, Psalm 88. This is often referred to as the Psalm of Darkness uh, because of how depressed and negative Egypt it comes across as. So there's not really a hopeful note uh, that's in this psalm as exists in other psalms. There's not optimism that kind of comes in at the end. This psalm really shows us that the reality that believers can be really depressed and, and really going through a hard time and and that there is a proper response to that and, and mainly the proper response to that state of depression and, and feeling hopeless is prayer to tell God where it is that you have found yourself and, and being honest with that. The psalm actually opens with its most positive line, which is Lord you are the God that saves me so it 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 comes across as positive this recognition of who God is but it does end without the typical resolution that we see in Psalms it ends with this verse you have taken from me friend and neighbor darkness is my closest friend so you know we really don't do any good when we just pretend that everything's okay and we just avoid the negative and we don't talk about the negative for some weird suspicious reason, superstitious reason. I mean that we think if we talk negatively, the negative things will come. That's just simply not true, and it's demonstrated here by this psalm. You know, sometimes all that we can do in our lives is wait and pray uh, and, and and be honest with God to where he is, and, and I think Psalm 88 demonstrates that. Yeah,
1: and one thing that Psalm 88 does continue as like a strand that's throughout the psalms is resting on your knowledge of god in mm-hmm. these and so for example uh, verses um uh 10 to 12 mm-hmm. it's almost rhetorical because he's like you're my salvation then he goes do you work wonders for the dead do the departed rise up to praise you mm-hmm. is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in abaddon are your wonders known in the darkness and are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Like, oh but oh Lord, I cried to you. So it's like it's it's like amidst all this terrible he's asking, but it's almost like he's resting on this knowledge that God does have power over these things. Yes. And um despite, Yeah, it's
0: not denying God. That's right. It's just also not denying the reality of the situation that this person has found themselves right. in, which is very dark.
1: That's right, that's right. It's
0: a very Job esque psalm yes it's like i'm in a very dark place but i still know that you exist and i still know that all these things about you are true yes but help
1: yeah that's right that's right that's (laughs) right Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right So Psalm 89 uh, starts out really positively compared to Psalm 88, but it also turns pretty quickly. Uh, It's a royal psalm. So uh, one of the sons of David, the grandsons of David, the the kings of Israel, they go back uh, and recount God's choosing of David and how God established the Davidic dynasty. So his descendants after him as um, the line of kings on the throne of Jerusalem in the country of Judah. It goes through some of the more spiritual victories of God. It goes through God's promises to David, and then it turns in verse 38. It says, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. Uh, that, That phrase, your anointed one, refers to the king. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. And jumping down to verse 46, it says, How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? So we see Psalm 89 here as a cry for political breakthrough. Mm. Uh, You know, David's descendants, these kings, have found themselves in a very different a very bad spot. Yeah. And God has humbled them, He has punished them, and so now they're asking for restoration. Okay, Psalm 90. This is the beginning of book four of the Psalms, which spans from Psalm 90 to 106. And Psalm 90 is a recorded prayer of Moses. It's really interesting uh placement because book three. Has just ended with what we can see is an apparent rejection or abandonment mm-hmm. by God of the Davidic covenant, the destruction of Jerusalem, or the time of the Assyrian Empire when Judah loses its freedom. It, it becomes a vassal nation to Assyria. Right. So the kings of David are humbled and they're like God you've rejected this covenant with David. You've said that there's going to be a Davidic king on the throne forever. What, What is going on? So why Psalm 90 is so interesting is it goes back to the first leader of Israel as a nation, which is Moses. And the whole theme is God is your king. Mm. So even when the earthly kings of David are rejected for a time, remember that there is a king that is greater and he is above all, and that is God. So Israel may lack human king at this point in their history but they still have their original king which is God Uh, so Psalm 90 is all about how awesome God is versus how mortal uh, and frail humanity is and it's asking for God to have compassion on humanity Psalm 91 is all about how God is uh, our refuge and our strength, how we can hide in him and be safe from all of the spiritual and physical dangers of the world. Uh, I wanted I, I love highlighting verse 14 here. It says this, "Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. So we see this shift back into remembering these amazing attributes and qualities of God. Psalm 92. The priest the prescript, so what comes before Psalm 92, just the little the little tiny heading, says for the Sabbath day. And this is all about praising God and recognizing that God does bless the righteous. Psalm 93 is all about how God reigns as king, how he's robed in majesty, how his nature is eternal, and it's all just praise for God, but specifically as this kingly figure. Mm. Psalm 94, this is a call for God in his role as king of everything to rise up as king and judge the earth Uh, and and the the theme here is that the Lord is the only true refuge so the idea being that human kings were supposed to be a shepherd for the people they were supposed to be a refuge they were supposed to their whole job was to look after the protection and the sustenance of their people um and, and this psalm puts that back on God mm-hmm. and asks for him to fulfill that. Psalm 95 is a call to Israel and Judah to praise God, to bow to his authority and not be stubborn. Uh, like their forefathers in the wilderness just after the exodus, um, whose hardness of heart extended their time in the wilderness. That's where this psalm goes. So look back at our history when we stayed hard in heart because of our trials and our tribulations, it extended our trials and our tribulations. So we may be going through a difficult time right now, but our proper response is to listen to God and to soften our hearts towards his authority, uh, and and then we can be healed. So that's the, the whole thrust of Psalm 95. Psalm 96 is a call to the entire earth. So it moves beyond the covenant people of God. It goes to the whole earth to praise the Lord. And it opens with that beautiful line, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, which again has been used in many worship songs because it's, it's just a great line. Mm. Psalm 97 uh, picks up on the very last thing theme, the very last idea that's introduced in Psalm 96 that the Lord will judge the world in righteousness (coughs) and and the peoples in his faithfulness which is an interesting concept because we don't I think in today's world we don't always connect God's judgment with his faithfulness Mm. so God will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness um, and verse 2 talks about how righteousness and justice are literally the foundation of God's throne, of his kingship, of his authority, justice and righteousness. Psalm 98 is all about praising God again. The concept, again, is God is king, so he will judge, and our proper response to this judgment is praise. Mm-hmm. The proper response to the judgment of God is praise because God is righteousness and justice. Psalm 99, this emphasizes that God is holy. He is other. He is not like us. He is set apart. He's different from everyone else, distinctly different, and in the best way possible. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's just. He doesn't show partiality. Uh, even even in ways that we would think are good. He he's not partial. He he judges appropriately. He speaks to people. He forgives and he punishes. Psalm one hundred is again like continuing in this cycle where it kind of goes individual then Israel corporately the people of God corporately then the entire world here we are again in Psalm 100 it's a call for the whole world to thankfully praise God because he made us because he created us and we are the sheep of his pasture those are the words that are used we are the sheep of his pasture so in other words God takes care of us uh, and and we should recognize that cuz he's taking care of us whether we recognize it or not but It is our proper response to recognize it. Psalm 101, this is another Davidic psalm. And it's it's really interesting because it's a series of vows that King David makes to God. Beginning with, here's his first vow. I will sing of your love and justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? So I'm gonna praise you and I'm going to be careful to live a blameless life, to follow in your ways. When will you come to me? Psalm 102, again, the prescript, so the the title after Psalm 102 says, a prayer of an afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. And that's exactly what it is. It's a perfect description. Um, Psalm 102 contains this really great, imagery it's very descriptive of loneliness and this person although they find themselves afflicted and weak they still believe that God will rescue Zion that he's going to rescue his people not just the city of Jerusalem but but Zion in terms of all of the people that that encompasses verse 18 to 22 is really cool um let me read it to you let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the lord the lord looked down from his sanctuary on high from heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death so the name of the lord will be declared in zion in his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. So this person is acknowledging that it may not happen in his lifetime, but he's writing it down to be a witness for future generations of people yet unborn that God will return his people to Jerusalem where they will praise his name in Jerusalem. And I just think that's really cool. Really cool. <laughs> Psalm 103, again, it's a Davidic psalm. It's a classic hymn. Um, it's, worth, it's worth a read. It is a, it is a good long read. I'm just going uh, to read you a little bit of it. Verse 9 to 13, it says this. He, meaning God, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So just highlighting that righteousness and justice and mercy of God, that forgiveness of God. That, that is a reality and is available. Psalm 104 is all about how God is king of creation. He created everything. He provides for the earth and animals and plants and and, and everything looks to him for their sustenance. Yeah,
1: and, and to add to that, mm-hmm. uh, what's interesting here too is, is that we get Leviathans also mentioned here. Mm-hmm. Where it he goes, there go the ships in Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. So what you, what you have, unlike Rahab, the the sea monster, who's right. always described as a mythical mm-hmm. creature of chaos, Leviathan is always kind of both. He's either described as a creature uh, that is in the sea, or he's also described as a creature that's a, of spiritual things. Because when you look at Psalm 74, for instance, yeah. verse 14, you crush the heads of leviathan you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness and that wilderness language once again is like when the during the exodus when they went out to the wilderness yeah. this chaos language yeah. again anyways the, the point here is that like leviathan has multiple heads in other words he's breathing fire so it's like leviathan is often like once again as used as a symbol a, a real it seems to be like a real creature that's used to talk about other things mm-hmm. so the, the leviathan is a uh, uh a vessel that points to deeper spiritual realities. For and sure. Leviathan clearly gets more screen time so to speak than than Rahab does. But I think here is a good example of why Leviathan is is most likely a creature they're using to typify,
0: or perhaps even a category of creatures. Oh, this right. sea has yes. a lot of weird stuff in it.
1: Well, that's right, yeah. yeah. And
0: it used to have more weird stuff. Well, exactly.
1: So the point here is that like Leviathan seems to be an actual creature that they're also using to paint symbolic chaos yeah. imagery on top of, yeah, um, or to point to that. And uh, that's important because that helps you understand kind of like the Near Eastern ancient mm-hmm. way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Whereas if like they're comfortable just mixing these two things together, mm-hmm. they're spiritual, right? Whereas today we're not really comfortable. No, we'll talk about spiritual things here, but we're very compartmentalized. We like to,
0: we like to completely separate it. Yeah. That's exactly right. We like right. to have distinct categories. That's right. Ends, but that's just not but the yeah, way I the think ancient, also, Middle Eastern mind seems to have worked.
1: That's right. And I think what helps there too is that that distinction between Rahab and Leviathan. Yeah. Anyway, just to add that in.
0: All right, Psalm 105. So, this is all about how God made a covenant with Abraham. So, it begins with the Abrahamic covenant and it traces the history of Israel uh, to the Exodus and talks about God being king of Israel again. It's a it's a really neat psalm. Psalm 106 is a confession to God. It's a confession of God as king of Israel, as king of creation again. And this time it tracks the unfaithfulness of Israel. So we've looked at the faithfulness of God in Psalm 105 of, of God making a covenant with Abraham and then being faithful to accomplish um, making Abraham's descendants a nation um, through the history of the Exodus. And then this next Psalm, Psalm 106, uh, talks about how Israel was altogether unfaithful from the time period of the exodus from being a nation through to the exile of Israel in Judah um, so yeah it's a really interesting contrast between God's faithfulness and human unfaithfulness specifically Israel's in this case as the exemplar here of that Psalm 107 begins book 5 of the Psalms, which goes from Psalm 107 to Psalm 150, which is the final Psalm. And the dominant theme now is going to be the Davidic covenant. So hope that God is going to send the Messiah that was prophesied to come from this line of David. The theme of Psalm 107 is God's unfailing love. And there's this there's this repeated theme, this repeated mo- motif that happens over and over of people getting into trouble, repenting and crying out to God and God saving them. And it ends with verse 43 that says this, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So in other words learn from these patterns. Learn from the patterns of human nature and think about the nature of God, the loving deeds of the Lord towards us. Psalm 108, again, the theme, the overarching theme is God's love. Verse four says, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Um, And, as is typical for a lot of David's psalms, specifically because of his life, where he was always being surrounded by enemies and needing deliverance. There's a plea for deliverance from Israel's enemies here. Psalm 109, another Davidic psalm. This one continues that theme of God delivering from enemies. And this one is really, really brutal, especially to the modern reader. Um, It's called a psalm of imprecation or a psalm of curse. So, Essentially, King David is asking God to do to David's enemies what those enemies want to do to David, which is a list of terrible things. So essentially, David is asking God for judgment. He's asking God for justice. Um, He's asking God to move. Uh, Because specifically, I think what's, what's interesting to know here because the, the psalm of imprecation gets, gets a bad rap because they're like, look how vengeful David is. How could this guy be, be righteous when he's, when he's super vengeful and, and just wants everybody to die and wants his enemies to face, face justice? But I think it's important to see the, the heart of David here. It's interesting to note that David is asking God to move because David's not going to enact his own vengeance or his own justice against these people who want to kill him. Verses 1 to 4 say this, My God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred they surrounded me. They attack me without cause. In return for friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. And then he launches into this imprecation. Then he launches into into this please do to them as they want to do to me speech. David himself is not going to do this. He is going to withhold his judgment on these people. And instead, he's asking for God's judgment on these people. So he's putting it, though he is king, though he could do it, he's putting His judgment, his case before the ultimate judge. I don't know a better response to injustice than that.
1: Mm.
0: I think that's great. Mm. You know? Well, being able to withhold your own judgment and go, this is what I think is fair, but I'm not God. I am not a righteous judge. But I know who is, so I'm going to give it to God. I think
1: it says even later in the Psalms um, that God hates imbalanced scales, and Mm -hmm. and he is the judge. So the concept being is that, like, it is the most just thing you can do is to hand over justice and judgment to God and not to do it yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you know that he'll do the right thing and, and you, you'll you be biased in some way. Yeah. So it, it is like the most accurate response and, yeah. and the most humble response. And
0: that's not to say that David did not bring justice in his kingdom or did not uphold the rule of law in his kingdom. He definitely did. Right. But there were cases that he put before God. Yeah. There were absolute cases that he put before God. And we, we need to learn from that in yeah. our personal lives. We can choose to put cases before God and just ask God to deal with it. Uh,
1: you kind of see this in the New Testament too, when like there, there's a dispute between brothers and take it before the, take it before the elders of the church, mm-hmm. where it's like don't go just go and like sue sue your brother sister. It's like what do they have to do? It's kind of like growing this this understanding that through God does justice truly come, yeah. and it's like we're not God and resting it all on God and that even the elders of the church have to do that mm-hmm. and that we should be doing that it, cause, it it removes a lot of strife it does uh, so it's very it's very um, it's 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 amazing that God's things are not just profound but they're also very practical yeah yeah
0: yeah learning how to trust actually trust god physically trust god pr- practically trust god yeah. with issues in your life to to be the judge to be the king that's right it's a difficult thing, but it's, 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 Very it's difficult. worth it. Okay, Psalm 110, just a couple more psalms here. Psalm 110, this is a psalm about the eternal messianic king-priest in the order of Melchizedek. So this, um, Melchizedek is a character that we were introduced to back in Genesis where Abraham, so Melchizedek is... contemporary with Abraham so this is before the Israelites as a nation Um, and Abraham um, tithes to Melchizedek as a priest of God so Melchizedek was outside of Israel but he was a priest of God at that time so it's looking back to Genesis, but it's also looking forward to the Messiah, to right. Jesus Christ. And again, Melchizedek is brought up in the New Testament book of Hebrews where Christ is recognized, you know, as as a king in the line of David, but priest not in the line of Levi, who were the priests of Israel, but rather outside of Israel for all of humanity and. Um, as in Melchizedek, how yeah. Melchizedek and, was a priest for God for all people, and
1: that's established even through communion because Melchizedek gives bread and wine. Yes, right to Abraham, and uh, he was the, the the priest of the chief priest of Salem. Yes. Uh, Right? So yeah, you have this beautiful relationship between Christ and Melchizedek, even in the Old Testament. It is. That continues through in the Psalms and elsewhere.
0: Interesting stuff. Very cool. Okay, Psalm 111. This is an acrostic poem, so alphabetical, Hebrew alphabet, not English alphabet. Obviously, celebrating God and all of his work, how his works are eternal, his covenant is eternal, and his praise should therefore be eternal. And the last one today, Psalm 112. This is all about the great hope that the righteous have in God. I just want to read you verse 4. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. So this relationship that we have with God gives us hope even in utter darkness, whether that be physical or or emotional spiritual darkness there is hope for us because of god because of who he is and his position um, as creator and king of everything right all right so leave us any comments or questions in the comments down below i hope you have enjoyed uh, the psalms up until this point and we're going to finish them off really soon so we'll see you next week